Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a movement by Laura podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through stronger and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. My special guest today, Amelia Barnes, is doing just that. She is benefiting all beings with her work in the world. Amelia is a yoga teacher. She is an entrepreneur. She started an eco-friendly leggings line that she started right out of her basement. And we talk about that today. She is a passionate vegan and a pioneer of no waste lifestyle. And she's doing it all while raising two young children. I hope you enjoy our conversation today. We talked and had such a wonderful discussion, and I hope you find her as inspiring as I do. I know you will. Please welcome Amelia. Today, I'm welcoming a wonderful woman, Amelia Barnes. Welcome, Amelia. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Uh, thank you for um, taking the time. You're such a busy mama. I mean, we all have our days that are full, but Every time I see you on Instagram, I'm so impressed with all that you're doing. You have two young children, two um, young girls. One, your baby is how old? Well, she'll be four months on October 5th. So oh yeah, gosh. I can't believe how fast it's going. <laughs> oh my gosh. And and your Lily is how old? And she'll be turning four in November. So oh, oh that's, a, that's a nice age difference. That's really nice. But that you're doing, you know, every time I, I'm looking at all the things you do, you're um, you're out and about with them. You're making all this delicious food, and you have this <laughs> incredible lifestyle that I think so many people should know about. And I think what what you what you do is you really give great information, and you do it in a way that's non judgmental. And and is so um, educational, and I'd love to first start off there because every, literally every day I, I look and I I see all the things you're doing, the food that you're making, <laughs> the way that you are attempting a very low to no waste in your household, um, and I just can you just back up a little bit and tell us how you began that path, what what inspired it, and. Then we Definitely. Can mm. Mm. Yeah. So in terms of like specifically trying to reduce waste, I guess it was uh, maybe a couple years ago now almost that I started to sort of step in that direction. And I think where the motivation initially came from was just I had gone through this process of kind of decluttering and clearing out old stuff. I don't know if you've read the book. I'm sure most people have yes. at this point, but Marie Kondo, the, um, what's it called? The, the magic the, of tidying up? Or, mm-hmm. Yeah. The magic art uh, of tidying up or something. Yeah, yes. Yeah, exactly. yes. Um, and so I read that when Lily was just like a little baby, like she would have been maybe like five or six months at the time. And I just kind of went insane and just like purged <laughs> the whole house. Like even looking back, I'm like, how the heck did I do that with a baby? Like, I think I would literally like put her to sleep at night. And then like, I would spend two or three hours just going through everything. And it was very, for me, it was very therapeutic. Like I felt like it was almost like so much had built up in my life over the past few years, especially after losing Landon. And it was just so much heaviness. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that process of of just cleansing all this unnecessary stuff or anything that wasn't really like sparking my joy um, mm. was really was really helpful in that that spell of my life life. Like I definitely had some oh, like some postpartum depression around the the, the four or five month mark after Lily was born. And I was really struggling. I remember that summer. And for some reason, that process was like very helpful for me. And so I think just getting that little taste of this whole um, idea of minimalism and just kind of like not having what you don't need in your life was like really appealing to me. So I sort of exploring that a little bit further and somehow stumbled upon this movement of zero waste. And I thought it was really fascinating because it was sort of taking it to that next level of not just throwing away a ton of stuff, but actually not like bringing that stuff in in the first place. Um, So that was really... And I started to start 
look around and just realize how much I was unconsciously throwing away every day and unconsciously buying every day. Just little things like a lot of, you know, single use plastics and things like that that we often don't even really think about. Like if you go and buy something in the store, it's so often going to be packaged in plastic and it, it's so mainstream that we don't even think about it. Whereas like 50, 60, 70 years ago, that just didn't exist, right? Right, I know. So I think zero waste in a lot of ways is just kind of going back a few generations and mm-hmm. being like, all this throwaway culture that we have today is so unnecessary. And it's not even like it makes our lives that much more convenient. It's just because we're so used to it. Um, like, for example, we'll grab like a plastic produce bag at the store and put vegetables into it when you could either just put those vegetables straight into your cart or you could bring your own like reusable bag to put them in. So it's just like, it's like just making simple switches becoming a little bit more conscious about those kinds of things. Um, Bringing a water bottle out instead of buying drinks that come in plastic or... um, Yeah, that's such an obvious one to me. I don't know Mm. why, you know, for... I remember just being with my young kids and they would say, uh, other people would be buying water. And I was like, we're never going to buy water in a plastic bottle. That just, for so many reasons, doesn't make sense to me. But mm-hmm. it does seem like that should be more logical. But I love that you're like it the the way you're raising consciousness is this incredible practice of mindfulness that, yeah, these daily things that we just you're right, they become so um conditioned that it's just normal. You go and you get a takeout um take out food, and there's everything's wrapped in plastic. every and then there's plastic utensils within the plastic. And it's like, it's so unnecessary. <laughs> we, we, I was saying this with my mom the other day. I was like, we have become slaves of convenience, you know, that we just, everything, we're, we want something now, we want it readily available. And that mindset is not working for us because it is, I think it is a, is, is a step along the way for this um, throwaway culture that you're talking right. about. And um, I think rethinking convenience has been like a big turning point for me in the sense that we often say things are convenient, but we're not really looking at the bigger picture of the other inconveniences, such as the resources being used and then the landfills and the oceans that are being you know, polluted and all of the inconveniences that are starting to become more apparent, but for sure within our lifetimes are going to be really big inconveniences. Big inconvenience. And for our children. Oh my goodness. So, so that whole thing. And I was actually having a conversation with a mom and we were talking about cloth diapering because it's something that I'm super, super into if you watch it. I I I love it. I love it how you show all the different types and they're so cute. And I'm like, oh my God, I want another baby just for this. (laughs) Yeah. But she was making a, she made a really good point that I was like, oh, this is like so true is that you know, if you have the means and the ability to reuse something, like for example, dishes, if you're at home and you have a sink or you have a dishwasher, you're probably not going to use paper plates and plastic forks and knives every day because it just doesn't make sense. It's like you're throwing money away. Right. And most people wouldn't do that. But then when it comes to other things, sometimes we've been so conditioned to see it as normal. For example, disposable diapers. Um, Like if you have the means to wash diapers, why do you keep buying disposables and throwing them away? Like, But it's so ingrained in us that disposables are easier that we don't even think about cloth when cloth can be just as easy. And when you think about all the money you save from doing cloth diapering, you could like pay somebody to clean your house. You could pay somebody to make you food. You could pay somebody to wash wash your dirty diapers if you don't want to wash them, right? So it actually makes your life more convenient in a lot of ways because you're just like putting your resources to a better place. Yes. I don't know if you know this, Amelia, but I'm a triplet and my mom had us. And Mm -hmm. this was at a time where there was no fertility drugs. So it was very unusual uh, to have. And she also, my dad was a surgical resident. They didn't have a lot of money and she used cloth diapers and she says that it was cheaper, and that's one reason. But she she said it was, she said honestly, I feel like it was a lot easier. I would have just been, you know, like I 
they were just so, she just thought they were so much better. And they, and, and this was where they had to do the cloth and put on the, like the plastic mm-hmm. under thing well, and do all school. the safety <laughs> pins, like really yeah. old school. And, and she still thought like that she couldn't understand why people ever went to disposable. Yeah. Um, I think it's a lot of marketing really affects yes, marketing. <laughs> really, like, isn't everything. <laughs> isn't everything. I know. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> Well, we have, we do, I mean, brain, brainwashing is real and that's where mm-hmm. marketing is, is really troublesome and you see that. But it, 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 I think that what you're doing such a great job is showing is that this is joyful, it's easy, and it's better for everyone, better for the environment, better for the, the kids. And it's just, it really is just reframing it. Like you said, it's, it's an, a convenience. It is, it's, it's it's convenient in a different way. <laughs> it's convenient because you're actually taking care of the world for today and for the future, as opposed to like what you're saying is in the future, it won't be convenient the way we're treating the earth and the environment. Mm-hmm. And and really, it just, it's such a different vibration and energy to when I put my diaper in the laundry bin, it's just like versus putting a plastic diaper into a plastic bag and then taking that out to the trash. Like it's just a total different energy. And then also like people often think, oh, well, isn't it gross? Isn't it smelly? But actually disposable diapers smell because of the waste reacting with the chemicals in the diaper. When you have um, a diaper that's a cloth diaper, it doesn't smell. As long as you have good airflow, like you don't put it in a sealed bin, you have an open bin or a hanging bag, it will not smell at all. Like I literally like... After a few days when I put the wash in the in the washer, I'm like right up in that wash and it doesn't smell at all. <laughs> like, wow. Wow. That's amazing. It's just, um, I mean, we, we take our diapers traveling with us. No smell. Like we were in a little tiny cabin last weekend with our cloth diapers. No smell. Like, um, which is... And then I have used disposables because my girls were very small when they started out and I didn't buy newborn diapers. They had to wear disposables for about a month before they grew into their one size diapers. And I couldn't get over how bad the disposable diapers smelled. I was so happy when I could put them in the cloth. Um, It's just such a such a game changer. You should be the commercial for that. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> Much less smell, I promise. Oh, and it is yeah. true. Oh and my. also, yeah, I actually have a few IGT videos. I just, I actually did one a few weeks ago and then I, I'm going to post one today, I think, um, where I kind of walk people through like all of the common questions with cloth diapering and uh, all the concerns and that kind of thing. So. Yeah, I think that. And so where can people find that? Is that on your, is that a YouTube? That's on my, yeah. I don't actually have YouTube. I'm thinking of doing a YouTube, but it's just on IGTV, which is my Amelia Kyoga. Oh yes, okay. Oh cool. Okay, so that's your Instagram. Yeah, you should do YouTube. Oh my gosh, with all that you have to offer, because you also took this low waste, no waste into your food. And I um, talk to me about that. Like I, I've thought about you honestly so many times when I'm at the grocery store, and I'm thinking like, what does Amelia do for this? You know, and I'm really. Because I feel like I'm a conscious consumer and I'm not doing nearly as well as you are. Yeah, um, well, I think it does take some, yeah, definitely some effort and some mm-hmm. thinking. And like, I would say at this moment, I'm not as low waste as we were prior to baby because my husband is doing a lot more of the shopping. shopping. <laughs> and I'm like... Throwing you know, under the bus now. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you know, it's interesting because it's actually a common topic in the zero... Or topic that's come up a lot in the zero waste movement. I was reading some blogs a little while back about it. Um, but the zero waste movement is very much female. Mm. And it's really interesting to see how that... Um, I mean, it's not like there's no zero waste men in the movement, but like it's disproportionately female. Part of that could be that it's really... Um, Instagram has been a really big place for sharing information and uh, Instagram is larger female than male. But but anyways, and also I think what it comes down to is that women are, are most often doing the grocery shopping and doing the purchases. Right. I think women are responsible for like 80% of household purchases or something like that. So it is definitely kind of an issue in the movement is that women often feel like the burden is on them for 
making these changes when, um, and oftentimes what I hear the most often is like, oh, like, well, how do I get my husband on board? (laughs) And that comes into with cloth diapering too. Oftentimes a lot of women will be like, yeah, I really wanted to do cloth, but I couldn't get my husband on board. So men, if you're listening to this. (laughs) Yes, men. (laughs) I think this is, this goes across the, um, across a lot of different, you know, branches like for eating. You know, I know with, I've had many women um, who've gone through my training or take classes and they're like really into changing to a vegan lifestyle. And it is harder if their partner is not on board with that. And oh, totally, I, yeah. I can't, you know, personally, my husband and I became vegan together. And so everything was from that foundation. You know, our, we raised our kids vegan and it wasn't ever like I had to make two separate meals or had to even manage that thought in my mind. Mm-hmm. So I do think um, it, it, we should, yeah, there should be some kind of self-help group for women and and men. I mean, but again, I think you're right because women are doing so many of the, probably so much of the shopping and uh, a majority are probably also doing the prepping or cooking um, that all of it, including the no waste, but also the the types of meals that you cook that that we should get on, you know, get on board. I mean, how people are not vegan is kind of crazy. (laughs) It's like so easy nowadays, right? I know. It's ridiculous how easy it's become. And actually, that's a question I often get will be, you know, how do you manage... Like like a lot of people know that like my husband wasn't vegan for majority of our relationship. So we've been together for 11 years now. Mm -hmm. And he didn't start transitioning to veganism until Lily was born. So like... And even then, like he's really only been vegan for like six months. <laughs> like it has <laughs> like it's like he's not on board for a very long time. Yeah, I definitely I hear that a lot. It's like, well, like how am I supposed to cook different meals for people, or like how do I, you know, what do you do if you're in that situation? And so, I would say like what. I mean, every family dynamic is different, but I personally really regret not. Um, not um, pushing him in or pressing pushing, him a little bit, yeah. pushing him a little yeah. bit more because it's not like veganism is this crazy concept. It's literally just deciding that you don't want to do unnecessary harm. It's right. not like an insane concept, but I think it's become like I think for the outsider looking in, it can sometimes seem kind of extreme because we've been marketed this idea that you need to eat animal products, which Mm -hmm. is totally untrue and you benefit from not eating them. But there's a huge like paradigm shift that has to happen before you can kind of like get there. But um, it's it's not that hard. Like um, for... And everyone's a little bit different. So I think for me, it was really like health was like a big thing that drew me into the door of veganism. And then once I realized that like, well, this is so much better for me, then it wasn't like a large leap to be like, okay, if this is so much better, then why are we still? Right, right. <laughs> like, well, why is this still happening? Like, we, why are we, you know, breeding into existence and killing billions, billions, like, mm-hmm. like upwards of 70 billion land animals and the trillions of sea, sea animals every year. So it's, it's like a very bizarre thing, especially when you think about the environmental aspect of it. It's just so inefficient because you have all these middle cows, middle fish, middle chickens that you have to feed and have to eat. What We could just eat straight away and get way more calories and way more protein and way more nutrients. It just going directly to the source. So it's just total, totally inconvenient. And it's also like from a business standpoint, like you don't, you don't want a middleman. Like, yeah, you, you're, yeah. We're, you're gonna have a way more profitable business by cutting out the middle creature. <laughs> well, I, I think all the nut milk industries are showing that. I mean, they're like oh, billion yeah. dollar industries oh, milk, now. Like, come on, <laughs> you know, they're it's making like, a killing. Yeah, yeah, I know. I think I think um, uh, many many vegan uh, products are are now upwards on their way to over overcoming any of the profits that uh, their kind of similar animal product you know, part would be. And it's just, yeah, it, it's so, it is really inefficient and of course, terrible for the environment and for the animals. So it, it's like, it's like checks all the boxes. Uh, I'd be interested. So from the health perspective, what, what was your, what led you into that pathway? Mm, yeah. So I was in my early twenties, I believe I was like 20 when I first heard about veganism. And that's when I was really into yoga. And I was 
so into yoga that I was like volunteering at a yoga studio so I could get a free membership. Mm-hmm. And then they decided to open up a little vegan cafe within the studio. So then I was like, oh, this is awesome. They're hiring. So I applied for a job so that I could get free yoga and get paid. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, this is awesome. And then that's when I first started to like learn about veganism because I was obviously making vegan food all day. And I was like, wow, this actually tastes really awesome. And I feel really great after I eat it. So that was the main thing in the beginning was just like, I really like the way I feel and I like the way that this food tastes. And then uh, I started cooking more vegan at home. And at that point, I actually didn't eat meat because it just felt wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. all I can explain. Yeah. Like, I'm eating the flesh of this animal. And I, I kind of knew that vegetarians existed and clearly I wasn't going to die by being a vegetarian. So that kind of made sense. I'm like, I don't need to eat this animal's flesh. So why would I? So that was kind of like already, but then the veganism concept, then I learned more about the fact that any animal used in any form of animal agriculture is still sent to the same slaughterhouse as all the creatures that are we consume their flesh of. And there's actually like a lot more abuse uh, and exploitation that happens in the egg and dairy industries. Because of course, you get eggs and you get milk from mothers who mm-hmm. have to be, you know, it's 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 a complete um, abuse of power in the terms of your, with dairy, for example, you're forcibly impregnating a cow. And then once the baby is born after nine months, you're taking it away immediately. And then either shooting it in the head or waiting or like raising it for a few weeks and then shooting it in the head. Um, so yeah. it's like, uh, and you know. And the mother's mourning. And, and yeah. it's so, I know after after having our own babies, I think it, it becomes just inconceivable um, that the babies of cows are in their uterus the same amount of time that we had our babies in our uterus. And we would you know, have the same feel. Just why would we be so? Um, oh, I don't know. It's, it's just um, sanctimonious to believe that we wouldn't that they wouldn't have an experience experience the same amount of pain of having a baby taken. You know, it's just mm-hmm. so. Uh, yeah, it, and it, and it also. It, P.S. We're not cows, so <laughs> it really doesn't settle well in our in our in our system. And we know that. Like you said, you felt better. I I was the same way. I loved cheese, and then I gave up cheese, and Mary gave up dairy. Um, willingly, um, and I felt so much better. Oh my gosh! I, and I didn't realize all those years of, you know, having mucus and having sinusitis and bronchitis and aching belly and all that was probably because I was not a baby cow. And I probably yeah. Should. <laughs> and like all all humans to some degree are lactose intolerant because. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not supposed to be able to digest lactose after infancy. Like that's, we we have the enzymes to digest lactose when we're babies because we're being breastfed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but after we wean, you're not supposed to keep drinking breast milk. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Um, so yeah, that was kind of, and you know what? I, I always remember having these, like growing up, even though I was like in this um brainwasher paradigm where I was like being told milk was good for you and cheese was a health food. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I still remember walking through the grocery shop and being like, why are we drinking cow's breast milk? Like it, even as a young child, it st- seems strange to me. And I always remember thinking about it. Same with eggs. I was like, aren't eggs supposed to be for like making chicken babies? Like, why are we eating these unfertilized like menstrual cycles of these mm-hmm. chickens. Like it totally was bizarre. And even as a young child, I think I've always been like a questioner. So that was already like, I never really f- wanted to like follow the norms. Like I was always like asking why, why, why? But yeah, it took it took meeting. Or it, it wasn't until I actually realized that veganism was a thing that I realized like, oh, there's actually people who don't do this. And that was really appealing to me. I think a lot of people, when they hear about veganism, they kind of maybe have the opposite reaction. like oh, that's like crazy. And actually now backing up a bit, I definitely did think it was crazy at first. Mm-hmm. But once I like understood more about it, then I was like, oh, that totally makes sense. And it didn't take too long for me to get there. But what did take me a long time was actually, it's kind of a weird way to say this, but like coming out as a vegan. So like, yes, well, I, right. I believed in <laughs> veganism. I wholeheartedly supported veganism. I ate vegan the vast majority of the time. Um, I wasn't comfortable enough to say like, I'm vegan and this is like a no... Like this is something that I'm not going to compromise regardless of whether I'm 
offered food and I don't want to upset somebody by refusing it. You know, those kinds of awkward situations. Yes, yes. I'm like, no, I'm vegan. I'm not going to change who I am just based right. on who are, right? Yes. <laughs> that I, was like a big step for me. I think that's pretty, I think that can be pretty common. Um, because again, especially if when you're in the minority and it's, and it's in your face so much because there's three meals a day, there's snacks, there's socializing around meals. It becomes a thing. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, I, I actually am vegan. It's like <laughs> antennas go off. It's like, I, I think so less so now for sure. I mean, it's I, I, veganism is, is now becoming much more mainstream, at least in the languaging of it and being, and, and with kids, um, I don't know how it is with your kids. Um, but I mean, at least Lily, Ava's too young, but there's so many more kids that have allergies to things. So there, there's different eating that's happening. Um, so my kids, I know, I mean, I've been vegan 18 and um, 18 years. My kids were raised vegan. My 17-year-old daughter, when she was little, she was the only vegan for a long time. And But there were other kids that had peanut allergies or lactose. So there was, she wasn't like, what I didn't want her to experience was feeling like otherness. Um, mm -hmm. around all the stuff. But what I would do, and I'm sure you do this too, is I'd bring all the great vegan food to everything and yeah. the vegan you know, desserts and all that. And other people would be like, hey, can we have some of that? And so my kids, I'm going to interview them at some point, but I don't think that they ever felt really like an outsider or like weird about it. But mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think that it, some of it is just that, like you said, coming out in a way that feels like you're ready for it, that you're ready for the questions that might occur or the skepticism or whatnot, but being very clear on your own values and not having to compromising them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what was it for me was that I always felt like I needed to know everything because mm. I never wanted to be in a position where I was asked something and didn't have the answer, which is kind of ridiculous, right? <laughs> but at the end of the day, I'm very like... I literally like need to learn everything. So I had to read like every book, every documentary, listen to every doctor, listen to like, you know, and, and find out all sides. And then that way I could, I could feel 100% confident. Cause I think what happens is people aren't hundred percent confident and then they'll easily get swayed by somebody saying, well, oh my goodness, did you hear that it's going to make you stupid or something? You know what right. I mean? If you don't have all the facts, it's really easy to get like, Swayed, and I think I think nowadays it's so much easier to just go on the internet and Google search, and then find out the answer because there's so much BS out there that you know. But when you actually go to like you know reliable, peer-reviewed, like actual mm -hmm. legit unbiased sources, it's and it's easy to find nowadays. Whereas in in the past that would have been extremely difficult unless you were like a trained scientist to sort of get that information. And there's so many people out there that are making that information super accessible to people. Like, I mean, just offhand, uh, you probably know Plant Proof. I really like his podcast. Yes. Um, and then there's um, Nutrition Rounds is another great podcast for um, for plant-based nutrition. And they interview all kinds of different doctors. And I, I find that stuff super interesting. I'm, I'm a big nerd. Um, I find it interesting <laughs> too. Well, I bet you're probably a huge... Do you find that you're a resource now for people? Like not only just online, but even maybe in the community that you live in? Yeah, I would say so. Like I, I, yeah, I tend to share a lot online because every time I get a lot of questions, so then I, I try to think, okay, if I'm getting these questions, there's probably other people having these questions. So I try to share all that for other people too, and or, or just direct people to resources where, that are more experts. Like I'm not an expert in nutrition, but I definitely can direct people to people who, to people who are. And like, for example, for raising plant-based kids, I'm not going to say I know absolutely everything, although I do know a lot, but I can be like, hey, you guys should check out like the plant-based juniors um, account because they're registered dietitians and they're going to tell you everything you need to know about raising healthy vegan kids. So those things like that, right? Um, but yeah, I, I tend to... like I feel like my my advocacy is very much more on the internet than it is in real life. Like I tend to not, I'm, I'm very introverted. I tend to not say anything, um, but I don't. <laughs> right. But you model it. Right. And yeah, so I model then, it, yeah. but like in, in terms of like my day-to-day -day interactions, I'm not the type of person that would go up to somebody and be like, Hey, you know, like, did you know? <laughs> it's, not, it's just not really my thing, right. but I definitely, model it and be like, if somebody ever is interested in veganism, then I'm totally game to like share everything. No. And also another thing I, I like to do is like watch like uh, documentaries and stuff like that are a really good way to get people to learn without feeling like they're being preached to. So for example, mm -hmm. 
like, hey, like I went to the Game Changers movie. Have you you did? No, I haven't gone yet. Oh my you gosh. You have to go. It's oh, so I good. I can't wait. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's so good. And um, I loved it. It was so funny. And well, it's just like super informative, but entertaining. So like it's a two-hour movie, but it literally went by in a flash. Oh, I can't wait and to see it. Was, it. Oh, I, and I so love good. that there's so many men in it, you know, that it's like all about showing that side too, that, hey, you can be not just strong, but like the strongest man in the world, strong. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. It's like, there are no excuses. Like, right, literally, right. Um, you like, it was really cool. It really focused on, on like sports, sports science and, and sports nutrition, but it's a video that anybody could watch and enjoy. Like, even if you're not at all into sports, um, you could still really enjoy it. And it's super inspirational too. Like you see all these people who are breaking world records and doing all this crazy stuff. And like, yet yeah, like, other people are out there saying you can't even survive on a vegan diet. It's like, seriously. Oh my God. I know this, I, that's, it looks amazing. And Arnold Schwarzenegger, first of all, I'm like, what? He's behind this. This is amazing. It's incredible. Yeah. So Arnold Schwarzenegger is in it. Yeah. Um, there is like so many, um, a lot of people that I had known about, but other people I totally didn't even know about. Yeah, definitely have to watch it. I say anybody should yeah. definitely see it. And so everybody cool. go see it. I'm going to go see it as soon yeah, as I can. Yeah, go see it. It's so good. And and uh, the thing is, it's actually covered the environmental angle as well quite thoroughly and makes some really, like it was really well done in the fact that it wasn't just about nutrition. We actually talked about like, not just because if you think about health, it's not just about your internal body. If you don't have a healthy planet, there aren't going to be any healthy people. So... Mm, we got to think about planetary health and it's just really, really an awesome, not coincidence, everything is is on purpose, but like it's very, very good that the healthiest diet for a body is also the healthiest diet for the planet. I really think, all, I was yeah. just thinking, Amelia, all this stuff is kind of channeling along the same pipeline, like raising awareness of what we buy and not just throwing stuff away, of, of packaging, of how we use stuff, what we actually need in our life and versus what we don't need, what we're taking from the planet, what we're taking from other species, like just all of this raising consciousness is is happening because it really needs to happen. But I think it's it's so amazing that it's um it, there's so much crossover with everything you're doing and you're promoting and the way you're living. I, I really I think you're such a model for all of these things. This is like true mm -hmm. yoga practice. You know what I mean? That this yeah, is what yoga is about. It's interesting. I, I like how it kind of all boils down to taking or not taking what isn't ours to take. Mm. So a lot of people feel like veganism is a big stretch. But when you think about it, it's just not taking what isn't yours. So you're not taking the wing of a chicken. The wing is their wing. Yeah. <laughs> like not taking yeah. the milk from the mother. The mother's milk is the mother's milk for her babies. Mm -hmm. Not taking the eggs from the chickens because those are their eggs. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... It's just taking what's not yours, really, and and also just the, the burden on the planet. Like some people will be like, "Well, you know, it, it, this veganism gets so privileged," but like it's not privileged to think about. I think it's way more privileged to think that you can eat whatever you want, even though it's literally driving climate change as well as taking food away from impoverished people because what's happening is that the majority of countries where people are dying of starvation isn't because they don't have enough food in those countries it's because they're selling the food that they're growing to western countries which feed that food to cows and chickens and pigs so it's just this, this really perverse system where we're taking we're literally feeding 50 billion animals at this moment, but we can't even feed the 7 billion people. Like, it's just like absurd. <laughs> yes. And by, and not only feeding them, but destroying the planet to do that, yeah. like how they're doing and in the, the Amazon. Water used right. to, it's insane. And yeah, yeah, well, the Amazon's a prime example. Like the vast majority of that deforestation is due to animal agriculture. And people will stand there and say, but they're growing soy. Yeah, but the soy is for the animals. Yes, they don't realize that <laughs> soy is going to the animals for their fit. Animals are yeah. eating the soy. It's like, yeah. oh. Yeah, even and, though they and, probably and would not eat that soy if that wasn't, that's not what they would have chosen. But, yeah. you know, there's not yeah, a natural way to, to, to raise an animal anyway nowadays, so. Yeah, and it, the soy is like a quick way to fatten them up and mm -hmm. 
it's definitely not natural or, or healthy, but that's what we've found to be very... Um, again, it's always about the bottom line. And yes. I understand that from a business perspective. Yeah, you want to... You wanna, you want the biggest profit margin for sure. But at the same time, it's like, these are lives, not commodities. Right. That's where the difference is. Absolutely. And and I feel like that um, so many of the, the farmers are suffering too, because they're the, 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 the markup is so little on what, and they're, what they're making as a net is so small and they're mm-hmm. diminishing profits. And the, there's so many other ways those farmers could be actually sustaining themselves and the earth and people. But again, it's just the support would be necessary. And here in the United States, so much of uh, we get the subsidization goes to the crops that are going to be feeding animals or subsidizes animal products. And instead that, that money could go to helping the farmers actually do something that would be great for the environment and for them and for the people. Yeah. At the end of the day, like, I, I mean, we can, uh, the government is, is hugely culpable in all of this because people buy, well, you know, there's the advertising aspect of it too, but at the end of the day, like the, the animal agriculture industry is literally surviving because of subsidies from the government, like, they're, mm-hmm. like which is in, absolutely insane to think of the billions of dollars put into these industries that are killing us in the planet. And then it's like, you wonder why Well, you know, you don't make money off sick, uh, off healthy people. Right. So it's just a complete, you know, insane system, but it is starting to become very obvious. Yeah. So I I don't think it's going to be able to survive much longer. (laughs) No, people are revolting. And I look at like this beautiful little Swedish girl, Greta Thunberg and, and like one person and how much she's changing and I, I think that um, it is it, the the work, the rock has been. I remember my friend Gene Bauer, who who founded um, Farm Sanctuary. <laughs> he said, you know, it's like pushing a rock up the hill, and it's you're going slow, but at some point, it's you're going to get up there, and it's going to start to roll down. And the momentum of that is where um, all the change is going to happen. And that's I think we're there. And and you're um, you're you know you're one of those beautiful people that is leading the way. And so we could talk about veganism forever. Let's let's go into some other part of your project. So you also, uh, you, even before you were a vegan, it sounds like you were starting this line of yoga clothes. Can you talk a little bit about your your this project? Another project you've got going on. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I started Pranavita in 2013. So about six years ago now, mm-hmm. and it was really came out of a a hard time where I was just like at a loss for what direction I wanted my life to go. I was finishing my master's degree in anthropology. And although I really enjoyed it and I'm like, I'm very much, I love to research as you can probably tell, I just, <laughs> I, I love it. There's, there was just this like void because I didn't, that's not what I wanted to do with my life. Like it was an aspect of it, but I didn't want to be sitting at a desk or a computer. I really, I really didn't feel like what I was doing was going to make an impact in the way I wanted to make an impact. So it was just kind of like, and then I also just lost passion. Like I just, I didn't feel enough passion about what I was doing at the time. And I had kind of just been, I don't know, like I, I think I was just doing things to do them and just to say I had accomplished something without really thinking about what it really was I wanted to accomplish. So yeah, I, I, I was feeling, I, I think most people go through this over life crisis. <laughs> like, <laughs> what is my purpose? What am I doing? And I pretty much turned to making clothing as a distraction from that. And then it turned into like an obsession and then like this big hobby and then a business. And then from there, it just kind of grew slowly. And then in the last few years, really took off. So and, and yeah. And what would you, I mean, how did you even know to how to make clothes? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, actually I have some experience. I've always been very creative from a young child. And my mom is very creative. And she, by profession, was an accountant before she retired. But I always remember her saying, you know, accounting isn't what I wanted to do. We, I got a job as an accountant to pay bills, but I always would wanted would have wanted to do something creative like be a designer, an interior designer, be doing something that was artistic. 
that was just always what she had said growing up. And I think that stuck with me because I was kind of this, I felt like I ended up in the same position, but I had the ability to make a choice. You know, do I just do what I think I should do to pay the bills or should I follow what my heart's telling me? And that's what I ended up doing. To backtrack there, (laughs) mom, creative person, she was very much uh, a seamstress. She sewed a lot growing up. She sewed um, all of her, like when she got married, before I was born, she she sewed her wedding dress and all of her bridesmaids dresses. She, um, growing up, she would sew clothes. She would always be creating something. And and that was something that she... She taught me how to sew, but she also put me into sewing lessons when I was five. And I did sewing lessons for a number of years. And you know, when you're a kid, you soak everything up like a sponge. So um, I learned a lot. And and it's something that I was always kind of thought was, we know when you're a kid, because it's like different, I always thought it was kind of weird. So then I didn't, I stopped doing it because I was like, well, none of my friends sew. This is so nerdy. And then I stopped, but then that kind of stayed with me. So I had some, some knowledge of working with fabrics and patterns and that end of things that was really helpful. And then actually when I wanted to start my business. Um, yeah, my, like my mom actually helped me, um, draw my first patterns. And then Aww. I started like, I started like, because I didn't have, um, I didn't have a sewing machine and I didn't have all like the supplies, like cutting, um, rotary blades and like cutting mats and all that stuff. I would like usually go to my parents' house and like I had actually my, my bedroom when I grew up converted into like a little studio space. So I'd actually go to my parents' house and like work there and start like building my my brand. And so that's what I did for a year or two was just like cut fabric at my parents' house. And then um, I, I went on Kijiji and I like randomly put an ad up for like a seamstress. And then I hired a woman that lived really close to me. She actually like just lived down the street. And then um, I started getting her to sew everything. And so it was like a really cool like partnership where I would cut all the fabric and then I'd walk it to her house. She would sew it all. I would pick it up and I would package it and then ship it out. So that's how we did it for a number of years. And then it started to grow beyond that where it was like, I like, couldn't cut. <laughs> Need more people. Out. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, I'm so tired of this. Right. So um, that's when I started to look for legitimate like manufacturers. And uh, a few years ago now, or how many years ago about that? Yeah, like two and a half years ago now, we moved uh, all of the manufacturing to Vancouver, um, which is like kind of a hub of, of garment manufacturing within Canada. And um, yeah, so that's where the clothing's made now. That's incredible. But, wow. What a story from your bedroom, from your bedroom of from where you were growing up to Vancouver. Yeah. <laughs> and actually there was definitely a, the, a large chunk of time in there where I was cutting fabric in my basement as well. I did set up like a space in our laundry room, which is like, was is no windows, dingy, dark, like was not... <laughs> I always feel like the most impressive people that I meet who are, you know, are doing great things in the world, but are really successful are the ones who, who really had their hands in it, literally, like from the beginning, there's like dirt on the knees, hands, you know, like really, um, blood, sweat and tears, because Mm -hmm. then you have full appreciation and, but you also have full operational knowledge of what, what is needed every step of the way. A hundred percent. It's so important. And a lot of people always ask, well, how do I start? How do I start something? How did you grow your business? How did you do this? And for me, it was always like, it came from like an intuitive place. So I felt like it's something I needed to do. And I just went with that feeling. And I never really was thinking about customers so much as I was like, this is something for me. And then it grew into something more about the customers. But in the beginning, it was very much like, it's something I really want to do because it, you know, it's something that I'm really excited about. And then as it started to grow and grow, then I was like, wow, other people also share this excitement too for like quality clothing that's made, you know, in a ethical way. And also like now I use all uh, very eco-friendly fabric. So people really appreciate that too. And, but yeah, like it, to grow a business, I think it, your heart has to be really in it. And you also have to start, like a lot of people will think about businesses for a long time, but I didn't even like, I literally was doing my business before I even considered it a business. Like, yeah. 
I didn't even have a business plan. I still don't have a business plan. <laughs> oh my gosh. Talk to, I love you. I, that, that's the same way. People are always like, what's your business plan? I'm like, well, it's in my head and I have some other people that know it. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I was doing things long before uh, I made it into something. I, I think that's what it is. That's because you're doing both work and passion in this um, that becomes a business. Yeah, exactly. And you ask uh, questions. I feel like I, what I do is what, what you don't know, you ask. You just ask, ask questions. You get information. You learn. You ask more questions. You're curious. Oh my goodness, that's so true. <laughs> questions are like the fundamental thing of business. Like whenever I don't know something, I just ask. Like it, it's literally changed my life. Once I realized that, because I used to always like never want to ask anything. I'm right. that kind of person. Like I always want to figure out, always want to figure it out on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I started asking, it was like, oh, like that's how it's done. So just picking up a phone and calling, like I literally started cold calling like factories and being like, hey, like how do you do this? Like how do people do this? And then the thing is, people are so helpful. Like I, I you know, it's amazing the construction itself there and you start asking for help, um, you'll start like learning so much. And that's that really the only way to do it. Um, oh, I totally agree. I, that's what that that would be the biggest message is never think there is a dumb question. You need to ask any question and. People, especially people who are um, in the industry already or or have some part in it, are usually so excited to help you. Really, really excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how Definitely. do you manage um, motherhood and having a business? I mean, how 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 much time do you spend at doing the business stuff? Mm, yeah. So. It's it's always changing for sure. I feel like I work best in waves. So I feel like I have certain times when I'm very like lasered focused on business. And then there's periods where I literally don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like um, definitely waves. And that kind of works with the flow of my business because I have like a few big releases every year that I'll kind of build up to. And so really the revenue that I generate throughout the year is isolated within a few pockets of time. But I think it works very well because I think as a business, you need to serve more than you sell. So you need to like provide value and content so that when it comes to those times when you're going to like push a sale, people are are ready to spend. Yes. So that's like the biggest thing is that if you focus on selling, you're never going to sell. Yeah. You need to focus on serving and like what can you give people value that they want to exchange their money. And they want to take their credit cards or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So that's like a big, big thing. Um, So, I mean, I don't focus on selling. I focus more on like what I can give to people in the form of like content that they're going to find valuable. And so that's largely what I do most of the time. But I also spend a good chunk of time. Like mine is like, I do all the social media. I do all the marketing. I do all the designing. So take sampling fabrics, testing fabrics, drawing up patterns, testing patterns, um, working with my uh, manufacturers and my pattern digitizer. Like all those things are all kind of like what I would do, but they, they all vary. It's like sometimes, sometimes they won't post on Instagram for like a while. And then all of a sudden I start posting, yeah, I'm so inconsistent. I need to get better. <laughs> but yeah. So I, I try to like, Try, I'm trying to get a little bit more consistent with what I'm doing, but it very much is like a wave-like thing where I kind of will try to share what I'm most interested in. And um, Well, that makes and, it real. And also you can be creative. Them. So you don't yeah. have to, it doesn't have to be like, you know, this consistent coming up with content, but that, that you're doing it from your heart. And, and you're all like, you, like, again, this is a lifestyle brand. Um, so you're, you're, modeling that lifestyle that you're trying to definitely get out that's the world. So true. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So like my brand is all about um three things. So it's like conscious. So being conscious of your consumer choices, but also being conscious like in a bigger way too. And then uh, and then connection. So like connection with other people and just connection to um the environment, connection to a community. And then there's also comfort. So, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I, like literally everything I make has to be like the most comfortable thing ever. <laughs> like I don't sell uncomfortable clothing. It's comfort number one. And then the main reason too is that like I want my clothing to be comfortable on women 
uh, regardless of whether they're, you know, postpartum, whether they're pregnant, whether they're, you know, at that time of the month, like I want clothing that's like always going to be the clothing that you want to put on and never take off. Like literally everything I sell, you can use. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I love comfort so. is, uh, comfort is essential for me for sure. <laughs> well, I want to wrap up with you. I could talk to you for so long, but I want to talk about the loss that you've experienced. I know you've talked about this a lot and what you're doing with that, because I do think that grief is, um, it's, it's, it's always with you, I'm sure in different forms. And I think like other parents who have lost a child, there's ways of navigating through the world and carrying that child for you, it's Landon, and, and how you're creating this legacy. What do you feel like your purpose is with that? I mean, taking this incredible loss and grief and helping others. How are you mm-hmm. doing that and managing your yeah. own feelings with it? So yeah, so my son Landon, he passed away over five years ago now. So he was my firstborn. And I shared a lot about that loss because I was on Instagram at the time and it just seemed like, well, first of all, I should probably tell people what happened. And then it kind of just snowballed into sharing every single day about my emotions and what I was going through, which just helped me process things more than anything. Mm-hmm. And also I could see it having sort of a ripple effect and people seem to feel like, I guess that they could see parts of themselves through what I was going through, or at least it helped them understand what people in their lives were going through that might have been experiencing loss. So it was kind of just this like, and it's this interesting phenomenon on social media now where you literally can like follow people's day-to-day experience rather than like somebody going through an experience and then years later writing a memoir about it. It's like you're literally there with them. Mm-hmm. It's totally different than anything we've ever experienced before. So I think that was a... And then this is in the early days of social media in terms of Instagram too. So it definitely wasn't the norm back then. I think Instagram back then was very like post random snapshots of your <laughs> dog and your cute cat. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really like, it didn't serve that purpose back then. Nowadays, people tell stories a lot more. But I feel like, yeah, at the time, it wasn't that common. And uh, I, yeah, so I, I just shared it. And then, then um, I ended up writing a book based on that. And a lot of it was like based on what I was writing every day. And then I kind of compiled it and, and worked with an editor to make it into actual book. And um, that I self-published now in 2017, 2016. <laughs> like, I can't even <laughs> say. Yeah, but no, it was 2016. And you can get that on Amazon. Oh my gosh. And it's, it's called Landon's Legacy, The Power of a Brief Life. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, I just kind of wanted to get his story out there and have it in like more of a physical form because you know how social media, it gets sort of lost in the mess of right. the internet. Whereas with a book, I felt like if somebody had it in their hands, maybe it would be have more impact. So I did that. And then I also... Um, hosted yoga and like healing retreats for a few years. I hosted three retreats here in Manitoba, which are really, really magical. And I write about the first retreat in my book. And it was just a way to bring together grieving mothers from from all over. People came from all over the world to come to these retreats. And it was just such a beautiful experience to be able to share space with so many moms who had been exactly where I had been. So yeah. Um, yeah, grief now, is, yeah, yeah, grief is this emotion that is so um, it's it can it, it's so isolating, and yet it also can be. Unfortunately, when you're in the condolence group, I mean, because you've had the shared experience, nobody wants to be in it, but only the members can really understand it, and it and it can be this um, community too. It can really bring you. Um, together, but it can be isolating. And that's what I love about what you've done is, and, and so many people do this well, but I think it's counter our culture to talk about grief, to talk about loss, to talk about um, getting into the pit of that depth and surviving it and then what you do with it. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. And so um, what are your, what are your hopes now and, or what do you want to do? Just continue to 
talk about him? Do you want to um, host more of these retreats? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's interesting because I feel like, you know, I, I often feel unsure about that because it's like I've, I've shared so, so much over the years. And then I feel like I kind of, after the third retreat, it felt like I was kind of stepping into a different yeah. phase of my life where mm-hmm. the, where the grief wasn't going to be as central. And it's not like I don't grieve, but I felt like it was like after that third retreat, it felt like there was this sense of closure, like for something that some reason, like the number three was like very important, but like three just felt right. And then I was like, you know what? And then I, I, I don't share as much. I do sometimes, but I also try to, what I share, I feel like is an accurate reflection of where I'm at, you know, mm-hmm. in the days when Landon and my grief for him was literally an all encompassing feeling every single day. That's when I was sharing every single day. And now it's like every once in a while, there's like, a remembrance or like a feeling or like a wave. And then sometimes I'll share about that, but it's not nearly as frequent. And so I, I think that's think helpful that's- too, because that also gives people the idea of, or the, almost the permission, like life does go on. Mm-hmm. The, you know, you're, you're the person, the baby, the child, the parent, whatever, whoever you lost is not, does it's always going to be there. And the loss is always going to be there, but life does go on. And I think, like you said, probably helps to not have to go back and revisit it all the time through like three, mm-hmm. you you almost did this. There was a completion of the initial mourning process. And it doesn't Definitely. mean that the mourning is ever over, but it does. It's like you said, it's not as raw. You don't have to, just because you don't talk about it doesn't mean you're not feeling it. And I think that's that's important to know too that people Definitely. can have permission to go on and enjoy their lives and be happy, you know, and have other babies like you. Do. You have these two mm-hmm. beautiful girls. Your little girl is just, <laughs> gosh, her little <laughs> face is so, she's so uh, dark. Yeah. And just like, gorgeous. <laughs> That's what everyone says. Right? Yeah. I know they're like, what, what's what my friend was like, saw for this first time. She's like, she doesn't really look white. <laughs> right it's so funny how coloring can really you know like I'm very dark and my kids were very very like blonde blue eyes so it it has even if you look similar that can be just the coloring itself can be so um can just make them look so different but yeah she's adorable um and I'm sure that that always and and how has this this um postpartum been for you this is only mm-hmm. four months. Has it been yeah, easier, similar, knowing what you were heading into, or any... <laughs> yeah, you know what? It hasn't been. Uh, it hasn't been as challenging. I'm finding with Ava. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there could be a lot of uh, different reasons for that. Uh, I did have her in June, so I got to enjoy this glorious summer, and I feel like weather has a big impact on where I'm at emotionally. And our winters here in Winnipeg are long and cold and and dark and really challenging. So Lily was born in November. So I think there's definitely there's an element there. Oh, I definitely think so. Mm-hmm. I, de- I, I had a summer baby and one of my best friends had a winter baby. And I, I know it was, it's just, yeah, you're already kind of feeling a little isolated and then it's dark and cold and yeah, it can be like the, the life is, you know, your world is contracted in the winter for sure. For sure, definitely. And, you know, I feel very, very privileged. My husband is doing like as paternity leave for a year. So um, I get a lot of help, um, which is really nice. We have lots of help with grandparents and everything too. That's wonderful. Oh my goodness. Well, Amelia, you're doing such good in the world in so many ways. It's, um, It's a privilege to just speak to you and have you have your voice um, on this podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> and we'll make sure that in our, in our notes that we put all of those different things that you mentioned, um, where to find your clothing, where to find you, where to find some of the nutrition facts and all that good stuff. But mo- the best place for people to find you is where? Uh, I say Instagram. You can find my personal Instagram account at Amelia K Yoga. And then Prana Vita Style is the business account where I share more about like the the yoga, the clothing, uh, clothing line, and um, and then PranaVitaStyle.com is my website. And I'm going to be adding a blog. I've been saying I'm going to do that for years. I'm actually going to do it. 
I believe you will. You're the type that will. Oh, that's great. And the blog will be on the Pranavita. Yeah, on Pranavita. Mm-hmm. And also, like, I have an email list. That's where I share a lot of content. It's through my email list. If you um, go to my website, there's going to be like a pop up that you can. That's um, great. Well, I'm going to make a request for your blog, and that is that you do like a top ten tips for um, a waste free kitchen. I know you've done oh, things like idea. that on Instagram, your stories, and I love it. And I think it would be so helpful for all yeah, of us. Yeah, that's one of my goals is just to create more um, content in like a format that's really user friendly and aesthetic. And I just mm-hmm. want to like put a little bit more effort into like creating like easy guides for people that are going to be something that you could just like screenshot and be like, Oh, like I have this on hand and, and just making things easier for people. Cause I'm all about easy. Like I don't, I'm actually quite lazy. So if something's not easy, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> oh um, my gosh. You're so funny. Sometimes some the most successful people do have that like little lazy bone streak, me included. I'm a, I would say I'm a couch potato that happens to have some type A moments. <laughs> Exactly. That's what I feel like. Um, uh, But yeah, no, it's been so nice talking to you. I always feel like having these conversations gives me like more motivation and clarity too, because sometimes talking about things. Yeah, it makes you like clear your mission. And you're, well, whatever you're doing, you're doing it great. And just um, keep being lazy when you need to because you've got your, <laughs> you, you only have a four, you have a four month old, my goodness, but you're, you're so inspiring. So thank you. Aww, and thank um, you. Bye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.